Hope you still have your Bibles open there to Philippians chapter 2. I've titled our message this morning, A Faithful Servant. That's part of why I read that passage in, in 1 Timothy describing the qualifications of, of a pastor, a faithful servant. In our text this morning, Paul names three faithful servants of God. He names himself, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And when you look at these three men, look at them together in this passage, there is some very good teaching here regarding uh, pastors and the congregation to whom he ministers. And I'm going to, I'll make a few comments here about, about pastors and I hope you know me well enough to know I'm not saying these things to be self-serving in any way. It's important that God's people be taught what God's word has to say about these matters. First and foremost, a pastor is to preach. He's a preacher. He preaches the word. Paul told Timothy in all seasons, in season, out of season, whether people like it or don't like it, in every season, preach the word. Preach the word every time you speak, not what you think, but what God's word says. And when we preach the word, we're to preach the message of God's word. The message of God's word is Christ and him crucified. Christ and him crucified is the theme of every line of this book. It's how God saves his people from their sin. It's through Christ and him crucified. That's why when Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, he told them, I'm determined not to know anything among you. You, you fellas got all this stuff going on, all these tangents and all these things you're looking at. I'm determined not to get off on that stuff. I'm determined not to know anything among you save Christ and him crucified. That is the message that God uses to save his people. It's the message that God used to feed his people, to comfort the hearts of his people. It's Christ and him crucified. You know, the subject that... Uh, Paul has just been dealing with is, is the, the unity. He said, you, you, you guys fulfill my joy that you be like-minded. Well, you know what will give God's people a congregation unity of heart, make them like-minded? Just preach Christ. Just keep pointing people to Christ. We'll have unity of spirit. We'll have the same mind if we're all looking at Christ. If we're all caring about his glory and, and his truth and his people. And in order to preach the word, in order to preach Christ, who he is, he's the eternal son of God. In order to preach such a subject, a pastor's got to give himself to prayer and to study. He's got to give himself to prayer and to study because no man's sufficient for these things. No man. It's hard, hard work. And a pastor is to have the rule of the church. A pastor rules the church not by bossing people around, but by preaching the word. Preaching the word, that'll, that'll, that'll fix everybody's wagon. That'll get every, everything lined up. Just, just preach the word. The church is to be ruled by the preaching of Christ. The pastor rules the church by making sure that this is always a place of worship. That we just don't get off on all these other tangents. This is a place where Christ is exalted. The pastor rules the church by eliminating distractions. Whatever kind of distractions it is come up, we're just going to eliminate those things. We're, we're, not, we're just not getting off dealing with those things. We're to preach Christ and Him crucified, to worship Him. And a pastor has to be a man who's proven himself to be faithful. He believes on Christ Himself. 
He trusts his soul to Christ. That's why he's faithful to only preach Christ because that's the only, only message that will do your souls any good. You know, if I care at all about you, I'll only preach Christ to you because it's the only thing that will do your soul any good. And a congregation is to hear the pastor, to follow him as he follows Christ. They're to submit themselves to the rule of the pastor and obey him by believing the message that he preaches, by believing Christ. And there is a, uh, you notice there when Paul is talking about the, how the congregation felt about Epaphroditus, how he felt about the, the congregation. There is a mutual love and respect but the pastor and the congregation. You know, the pastor watches for your soul because he cares about you. He loves you. And a congregation prays for the pastor, loves the pastor, supports the pastor so that he can give all of his time to the ministry of the word, to studying the word, to bring you a message that's, that's true, that's, that's Christ honoring, that's something that will benefit your soul. You know, there really isn't anything that you can do more important than praying for your pastor. I'll be, as I've told you this before, I'll be sitting in the study and just bum-fuzzled. I, I don't see it. I don't see the message here. I'm just, and suddenly it opens up. And I think somebody's praying for me. How why, how'd that happen? Why'd that open up just somebody praying for me? There's nothing more important that you can do. Pray God sends you a message. That will bless your heart and, and enable you to rest in Christ. And I say without fear of contradiction that this congregation does those things. And I thank God for you. I thank God for you every day. But we have to be reminded of these things. We have to be taught these things from God's word. We have to be uh, established in these things from the word or else we'll let them slip. Now that's good, true teaching. Maybe I shouldn't say good, it's true. That is true teaching. That's, that's what the Word of God says. And you see those things from, from these three men that, that are mentioned in our text, these three preachers. Now, what I've said is true, but so far, I haven't preached the gospel. And my job is to preach the gospel. My job, as I just said, is to preach Christ and Him crucified from every passage of Scripture. So where is the gospel in this text. Well, the gospel's found in Christ, the shepherd and bishop of our souls, and how he's pictured by these three servants that God mentions here. Now, there are these qualifications of a pastor, a bishop, an elder, and uh, you know, no man can be perfect in these things. No man's a perfect shepherd or perfect preacher. But Christ is. Christ our Savior is. I have three points I want us to, to see here about Christ the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Number one is this. It's Christ our sacrifice. In verse 17, Paul says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Now remember, Paul's writing this letter from a, a Roman prison, he didn't know if he's going to get out or not. He knew it probably pretty likely the Romans are going to put him to death for preaching this gospel. And Paul says, now if they do that, 
If, I, if I'm put to death, if I die as a martyr for preaching Christ to you, Paul says, tell you what, I have joy in that. I have joy in that. Dying for preaching the gospel to you, he says, is a joy to me because I see God's given you faith through the preaching of Christ. And I have joy in that. And every pastor worth his salt gives his life over to preaching the gospel of Christ to God's sheep, to minister to God's sheep. And I'm not complaining about that. That's not a burden. I mean, it's a burden. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a job that's laid upon you, but it's joy. It's a joy. I hear pastors sometimes just, just, just poor mouthing about, you know, how awful it is to, to, to be a pastor and, well, maybe y'all find something else then to do. I mean, you know, it's a burden. It's hard work. But Wayne, I don't work no harder than you. I mean, you know, it's just different. It's a, if there's not joy in this thing of preaching Christ and hearing Christ preached and believing, if there's not joy in that, something's missing, isn't it? Something's missing. What a blessing it is to be able to preach to God's sheep and see the light go on. What a blessing that is. What a blessing it is to be able to preach the word and see the spirit take that and feed God's sheep. See their heart strengthened to, um, to know, I know you. When somebody's going through it, God, I mean, going through it, I know it. And to be able to preach Christ and see that comforts your heart. That that's a, the balm of Gilead. Just, now that's a joy. If you don't find joy in that, find something else to do. Go sweep the floors or something. But it's a joy to see God's, the, his sheep comforted by the preaching of Christ. That just makes it worth giving your life to the ministry. And boy, when Paul talks about giving his life to the ministry, he meant, he meant it, didn't he? If it's not here, it's sooner or later. He's going to be put to death for preaching the gospel. And he said, I have a joy in that. Now, God's pastors are, are, are just men. And as the Lord enables me, I can preach Christ to you. But I can't make you believe it. I can't. I'm, I don't know. I, I, I think I ought to be maybe a little calmer sometimes. You know, when I preach, I just get... <clears throat> Because there's a part of me that wants to reach out and just put it in your heart. You know, I want you to see this so bad. I can't do it. And I can tell you, I give my life over to this ministry. I spend my time in this ministry. But you know what? That's not much. <laughs> you know, that's not much. I can tell you that I would die to preach the gospel to you. But my death wouldn't mean much. It certainly wouldn't do anything for your soul. But there's one who can. And that's who I'm wanting to preach. Christ Jesus, shepherd and bishop of our soul. And he's pictured here. Look over at Hebrews chapter 2. Paul said, it's my joy to give my life to preach the gospel to you. And you know the Savior felt the exact same way about his people. Look here at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, I think I said 2. It's Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Hebrews 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Savior, as horrible as his sufferings were, and they were horrible. I mean, he prayed, Father, if it could be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thou wilt. This, all his suffering, unspeakable, the soul sufferings of the Savior. Yet he counted it a joy to do that for his people because he loved them. And Paul says, if, uh, if I'm offered here uh, upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, he said, I find that a joy. That's a joy for me. And Paul's death wouldn't accomplish any more for them than my death would for you. But the death of Christ accomplished something. And this is why he found it a joy to suffer and die for his people. The death of Christ accomplished the eternal salvation of his people. His death redeemed his people from all of their sin. That's the only reason he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high right now. He did what the Father sent him to do. He says he counted it a joy to suffer like that. The Savior's love for his people is beyond human language. You think about who it is that suffered. The Holy Son of God. The Prince of Glory. The Light of Heaven. Think about who He is. And then think who He suffered for. Who did He suffer and die for? He died for the worst of sinners. He died for those who hated Him without a cause. He died for those who willingly, willfully sinned against him, who cried, I'll not have this man reign over me. Crucify him and give me Brabus. They're born filthy in their sin. They're born in Adam, defiled by sin, defiled by sin through and through. You and I can't understand how despicable the sight is of us and our sin. It would drive a stark raven mad if God let us see it. Yet the Holy Son of God counted it a joy to suffer to redeem the likes of you and me. Oh, he counted it a joy because he loves his people with an everlasting love. It's just more amazing than anybody can find words to say that somebody like him would suffer like that for somebody like me. And somebody like you. And he counted it a joy because he loves his people. Oh my. Then Paul says, Now, if I'm put to death for, for preaching the gospel, he said, I counted it a joy. And he said, You believers there in Philippi, you counted it a joy too. That's going to be hard. That's going to be hard. We just can't find it a joy. We can't hear one of God's servants preach Christ to us anymore. I miss it. I miss him. I miss hearing him preach. I miss, you know, we love them. We miss them. I miss being around them. I, I, I love the gospel that they preach. I just, you know, it, may, it makes me sad. I can't hear him preach anymore. But I tell you what we do, Joy. We joy for our beloved brother 
The Lord has finally delivered from this sinful world and this sinful body and taken them to be with him. Now, we enjoy over that. I mean, we're going to weep. We're going to weep. But while we weep, we're going to have genuine joy for our brother too, aren't we? And that's, I believe, the only way that these, these believers could ever say, well, I rejoice that, uh, that the Romans put Paul to death. The only way they could find any joy in that at all is, oh, this faithful, beloved brother who gave his life to preach the gospel to me. I'm so thankful for him. God used him to, to reveal Christ to me. Now he's with the Lord. I find joy in that. It's a mixed bag, isn't it? Weeping and, and finding joy. But for the believer, now remember, we're talking here about the death of Christ. For the believer, there's nothing but joy. There's nothing but joy in Christ. We joy in his death. His death is my death. He died the death that I deserve. When he died, I died in him. When, when he died, I died to the law in him. I died to justice in him. I died to sin in him. Those things can't harm me anymore because I died in Christ. And here's what makes the death of Christ so precious. He didn't stay dead. Now, if he had stayed dead, there would be no joy in it. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again. Paul says, for our justification. He rose again as proof. His death justified his people from their sin. Now, there's joy in that. We think about the death of Christ. It's all joy because he saved everybody that the Father gave him to save. Not one of them can be lost. Then here's the second thing I see. I see Christ, the faithful servant. Verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you. Thy also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. Now Paul and Timothy, everybody here is probably very familiar with them. They had a very, very close relationship. They were so close. Paul called Timothy, my son, my son, my son in the faith. Brother Henry called those men that went out to preach in their place. They're, they're my sons. And I know that Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, but it almost seems like that these two men were so close. It's like Paul almost just adopted him as his, as his son in the flesh too. They've just enjoyed a very, very close, special relationship. You read about Timothy being with Paul pretty much everywhere. And all Paul's missionaries' journeys, you know, we, we read about Timothy coming to visit Paul in prison. If, if Timothy wasn't there, Paul would say, send Timothy to me. Have, he's bringing me some books, and I, I want, want to see Timothy. When Paul would establish a church, and he'd go away, and he wanted to find out how they were doing. He wanted somebody to help establish that church, make sure they hadn't gotten off, you know, on a, on a tangent of Christ, Christ plus the law, grace plus the law. He'd send Timothy. He sent Timothy there to, to preach the gospel to them, to, to strengthen them. And when Timothy went to those places, he didn't go trying to seek his own glory. He didn't go there trying to seek his own recognition. He didn't go to those places trying to gain followers to himself. He went and he preached Christ. He, only, he didn't care that people followed him. He wanted people to know Christ and follow Christ. 
Timothy only cared about the truth of Christ, the glory of Christ. This is the only thing that's going to help God's people. He made it his business that he would be just like the Apostle Paul. I'm determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and crucified. I'm just going to preach Christ. He wanted to point sinners to Christ and he stayed faithful to that. And it strikes me as very sad that Paul would say, I had no man like-minded who would naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. You think of all the preachers that Paul must have known. And he said, I don't know anybody but Timothy that I can send to you. I don't know anybody but Timothy who's like-minded who will not try to puff himself up and get followers to himself and promote himself, but will only preach Christ to you. I don't don't have anybody minded that way except Timothy. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Now, I don't know what all that means. Part of what it means is this. Human nature hadn't changed from then to 2022. People doing that same thing today. Not not seeking Christ, but seeking, seeking their own. And all I can think of to say about that is this. Let's earnestly pray and ask God that he don't allow us to do the same thing. That's the only thing I can think of to say about that. That God keep us faithful to preach Christ, to, to follow Christ, to want to hear Christ preach. To, you know, we just should make that a matter of very serious prayer. Because Timothy, he stayed faithful. He stayed faithful to the gospel. He worked so closely with this elder Paul in so many ways. And when the time came and Paul was gone, then Timothy took over much of that responsibility. Well, I'd like to be faithful to my generation that way, wouldn't you? But now here's the gospel and all this I've been saying about Timothy. I see a picture of Christ here, don't you? The faithful son serving his father. The father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. You know why they work so closely together? Why they're like-minded? Because they're one. Three persons... But they're one God. They work closely together because they, they have the same mind. They have the same purpose. They have the same nature. And the purpose of the triune God is the glory of God and the redemption of his people. That is the purpose of God. The purpose, the reason behind everything God does is his glory, the glory of Christ and the redemption of his people. That's why God created earth. Put man in it and allowed man to fall so that Christ would be glorified. That's why the reason God does everything so that Christ would be glorified in redeeming those people. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're one in this purpose. The Father, he chose the people to to save before time began. Put them in his Son. Now the Father, before he created anything, he knew the state of those people that he chose. He knew they'd be lost in Adam. He knew they'd be ruined in sin. And ruined in sin, that, that's, a, that's a good phrase we ought to use. Ruined in sin. Because something that's ruined can't be fixed up. It's ruined. It can't be fixed. The Father said, now I've chosen these people. 
but I know their state. They're hopeless. Can't save themselves. Can't do anything to get themselves out of the mess they put themselves in. The father said, I've got to send somebody to restore them to me. Well, who will I send? I've got to send somebody who's in their flesh, who can be their representative and undo for them what Adam did to them. Adam, their representative, put him into death. I've got to send a representative in their flesh, in their nature, to give them life. Adam made them unrighteous. I've got to send a, a representative to undo that, make them righteous. I've got to redeem them. I've got to send somebody who can be the sacrifice, who can put their sin away, to pay their sin debt. I've got to send somebody. And the father said, I've got one who's like-minded. I've got one. Only one who can get the job done. He's my son. I'll send him to redeem those people that I chose to save. Paul said, I, there's nobody like Timothy. Nobody like-minded. Father said, there's no one like my son. I'll send him. And the son, he has the same purpose. The son willingly came in the flesh so that he could redeem his people from their sin. He naturally cares for the state of his people. When the Lord puts you in a time of difficulty, darkness and trial, you remember this. The Lord cares for you. He careth for you. Naturally. It's his nature to care for his people. He came to his people and he naturally cares for their state. They're in a lost state. Well, he's going to save them. They're in a blind state. He came to give them sight. They were in a dark state. He came to be their light. They were in a dead state. Dead in Adam. He came to give them life in him. They were in an unbelieving state. He came to give them faith. Faith in him. They were in a lost state. And he came as the great shepherd of the sheep to seek them, to save them, to find them, and bring them home. He knew their state and he came to undo it. The son came to earth in the flesh with absolutely no care, no consideration whatsoever of his creature comforts. He didn't come to make everybody see the glory of the power of God that he had in creating things and, and all these, you know, people. Now he did, he performed miracles, didn't he? People saw the miracles. But isn't it interesting, after seeing all those miracles, all they saw was a man of Nazareth. He did those miracles. They didn't see God. They didn't see the power of God. He did those things in such a way all they saw was that poor Nazarene. There was no beauty about his bodily person that would cause us to desire him. And Christ came as a servant. A servant to his father. Just like Timothy served with Paul, Christ came as a servant to his father to do everything that it took to save his people from their sin. He's a faithful servant. He didn't leave one thing undone. He's the perfect servant. The father gave him a job to do, and he did it in every last detail. Now, if you look at Romans chapter 3, I'll show you why this is so important. That Christ did everything that the Father sent him to do. That's so important because we can only be saved. Sinners can only be saved by the faithfulness of Christ. Now we talk about the necessity of faith in Christ. You can't be saved without faith in Christ too. You must believe on him. 
But first, we got to be saved by the faithfulness of Christ. Look at Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law, without your obedience to the law, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Salvation is accomplished by the faithfulness of Christ. He is faithful to do all of the saving. And that salvation is received by faith in Christ. Look at verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. See, that Christ was faithful to accomplish the salvation of his people, and that's received by faith in Christ, by just resting in him, believing he's all it takes to save me. Look at Galatians chapter 2. Paul says the same thing in his letter to the church at Galatia. Galatians 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. See, salvation is accomplished by the faithfulness of Christ. We can't do it. By our works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Our works of the law, what can they do? The only thing they can do is condemn us. But the faithfulness of Christ, he fulfilled God's law in every jot and every tittle. Not only did he obey it, he magnified it and made it honorable. (laughs) And that salvation is received by faith in Christ. The only one who could do such a great work is the Son of God. The Father said, I've got to send somebody who's faithful to accomplish this salvation. I'll send my Son. I've got nobody else like-minded. I've got nobody else able. Well, here's the third thing. Brother Henry always used to say, well, did he get the job done? The Father sent him to do a work. He said, I'll do a work. Did he get the job done? Here's my third point. Yeah, he did. Christ, the returning king. Back in our text. Verse 24. But I trust in the Lord, that I also myself shall come shortly. Now we can imagine how thankful that church at Philippi would have been if Paul had been able to come back and preach the gospel to them and visit with them. You can just imagine, can't you? We had a conference here a number of years ago, and I invited six of Henry Mahan's sons to come preach. And I wrote Henry, told him what I was doing. I said, I sure would love it if you'd come to this conference and hear your sons preach. Now, can you imagine? We'd have been so happy to see him, wouldn't we? Oh, he said, he's like, he said, I just can't. I just can't do it anymore. He said, but I'll be praying for you. We'd have been so happy, wouldn't we? I don't know if Paul was able to go back and visit with the church of Philippi. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he was killed. I don't have any idea. 
that boy, it would have been an emotional service if one day on Sunday Paul come walking in. Wouldn't that have been something? But here's a homecoming I know took place. Look at verse 25. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all. And he was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he'd been sick. He wasn't full of heaviness because he was sick. He was full of heaviness because you were worried that he, he was sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Now you receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me or your lack of opportunity to come to me. You know, he, he came for the whole congregation because they couldn't. Now, Epaphroditus was the pastor at Philippi. He'd taken a church from the, a gift from the church there and took it to Paul when he was in prison. And while he was with Paul, helping him and, and doing different things, Epaphroditus got so sick, Paul thought he was going to die. And when he was sick, he had sorrow. Because, oh, I hate that. The folks back home worrying so much about me. I, I don't want them to be in heaviness. I don't want them to be full of sorrow and, and worry. He loved them so much, he didn't even want them worrying. <laughs> and the Lord brought him back to hell. And now Paul's sending him home. I mean, we can just imagine how happy that church was when their pastor came back home. I don't know how long he was gone, but he came back home. He cared for them. He loved them. And they cared for him. They loved him. They would have been glad to see Paul. If Paul would come, that would have been a blessing. But Paul wasn't their pastor. Paul came there. They first heard the gospel from Paul. The church was established. A pastor was raised up. Paul moved on. And week after week after week, that church had been blessed. God had fed their hearts. He'd strengthened them. He'd established them in the faith by the weekly preaching of Christ from their pastor. They, they just had an ear for him. They just wanted to hear him preach, and they were so happy he came back home healthy and able to preach to him. And Paul says in verse 29, you hold him in reputation. You, the word means honor. You hold him in honor. Honor to whom honor is due for the work's sake. And it sure sounds to me like they did, doesn't it? Now here's the gospel in that. We can imagine how that congregation felt when their pastor came back home. We can imagine how they would have felt if Paul came for a visit. We can't get started to imagine the thrill that it's going to be when Christ appears again. We just can't even imagine it. Just as however glorious you think that might be, just think about it. How glorious do you think that's going to be? It's going to be better. <laughs> it's going to be better. <laughs> I don't know if Paul ever returned to Philippi or not, but I know this. Christ is coming again. He's coming again because he promised he would. He's coming again because he's the successful Savior. He's coming to gather his people to himself that where he is, there we may be also. 
that we might behold His glory. We, we just can't imagine. The songwriter said, Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I see His blessed face. And that's about all we can say about that. The soul-thrilling rapture. It will just overwhelm my soul. We just can't imagine His glory. We're going to see it when he comes back. The Lord Jesus Christ did everything he did for the glory of his Father so that he could save a sinful people from their sin and glorify every attribute of the Father in saving those sinful people. And by God's grace, we believe him. Do you believe him? Do you believe he's all it takes to save you? Do you? We believe he did what he came to do. I believe He's all I need to save my soul. You do too. We can say, I see. I see how God saves sinners. We can say, I see something of the glory of Christ and how he, he could love and redeem a sinner like me. But buddy, it's through a glass darkly. It's by faith, isn't it? Abraham saw Christ day by faith. He didn't see it as clear as you and me do. In the day that Christ returns, we will see His glory with no filters. We'll see His glory with nothing between. We won't have to have a preacher saying, look to Christ, because when He returns, every eye is going to see Him. We will see Him as He is. And get a hold of this now. Get all your seat. And we'll be just like Him. No more sin. And we'll spend eternity worshiping our Savior face to face. Another songwriter said, what a day that'll be. Oh, what a day that will be. Queen of Sheba said, half's not been told. That's true, I guess, I reckon it's true about Solomon. I can tell you it's true about Christ our Savior. The half's not been told. You know why? We don't know it. I <laughs> can't imagine it. But in that day, we will. He's coming again. Hasten, Lord, the day. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for Christ our Savior. How we thank you for his willing sacrifice how we thank you for his faithfulness to accomplish all the salvation of his people. How we thank you that you're pleased to give your people faith in Christ by preaching him. Can't know him until somebody preaches him to us. How thankful we are that you give faith to believe and love what this flesh cannot believe and love. And Father, how we thank you for a successful reigning Savior who's coming again. And we say, hasten, Lord, the day. How we long to see him face to face. This will not be a day of fear. There's no reason for us to, to threaten one another and put fear into one another that, that Christ is coming again. But it's a matter of joy. It's a matter of celebration. It's a matter of comfort for our hearts. Christ the Savior is coming again. And Father, until that day, how I pray that you would Keep us faithful to the cause of Christ. 
how you, we beg of you that you keep us faithful to preach him to our generation. That we would never seek to, to glorify ourselves, to, to lift ourselves up, to promote ourselves. But Father, cause us to lift up and promote the name of Christ our Savior. And bless that preaching, Father, for your glory and for the good of your people. To, to call them out, to feed them, instruct them, establish them in the faith until that day that Christ returns. For it's in his precious name that we pray. It's in his name we give thanks and for the glory of his name we pray. Amen. All right, Sean. Hmm.